Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us, whether you're in the building or watching online. We're so grateful. As we continue the series we've been doing called Two Rooms. <clears throat> and this series, man, we're talking about some really big ideas, ideas that if we wrestle them to the ground, I think they have the potential to help us not only see faith differently, but experience it differently. And if you're a Christian, to portray it differently, which is so huge because sometimes faith is portrayed really poorly in our world, in our community. I don't know if you've had that experience where it's been portrayed badly to you, uh, but we've been hitting on some big things that I really do think have the potential to help us see it, experience it, and portray it differently in such a beautiful way. Um, I don't have time to go through all the ideas that we have spoken about so far in the last couple of weeks, um, but... If you've missed it, I would love it if you could go catch up online or on the app or on the podcast. I think we've got a podcast as well. Um, so if, if you want to go catch up, please do that. Um, today, what I want to do is I want to kind of continue a conversation that we started last week about a topic that most people don't like talking about. And when I bring it up, there's probably something in you that's going to go, oh, really, I came for this. Um, because, and the reason for that is I think not because this topic shouldn't be spoken about, and when we speak about it in the right way, sort of in the way that Christianity presents this and the Bible truly presents this, it's actually a really good and important topic, but because of how it's sometimes being portrayed, and, and when it's portrayed this way, it's so judgmental and it's so awkward and it's so difficult. So I'm sorry, and I'm not, um, sort of... But today I want to talk about the idea of sin. Sin, see, I told you, I told you, <laughs> if something happens, it's like, oh, great. But the reason that happens, I think, is because so often in the religious world, we have portrayed sin, churches have portrayed sin, or we've heard it in a way that is just not a Christian way of seeing it. And I'm going to give you an example because um, so often this is portrayed in a way that when you hear it talked about, it has a finger pointing at you. And it's said in a judgmental way, in a way to try and control behavior. And so nobody wants to talk about it in that sense. The best example of this is um, yesterday, my sons and I were driving around town and we drove past a church sign that, that portrays sin in a, just in a way that I think misses and misunderstands the Christian teaching of sin. Let, let, me, let me show you the picture. This is the church sign we drove past yesterday. It says the sin is a short word with a long sentence. And I know they were trying to be punny, but, but they are forcing every passerby to hear a message about sin that misses a few of the biggest doctrines or teachings or ideas about sin. The, the message that they're giving every unsuspecting person that is forced to read that, no matter what they believe, the message they're giving is stop sinning because God's going to judge you. That's the message. Let me say very clearly, that is not the Christian message about sin. That is missing two massive parts about the Christian message of sin. The one part that it's missing is that, get ready for it, Jesus died for all sin. Your sin, my sin, every sin. And, and what that means is what they're saying is that it's a short word with a long sentence. What they're saying is you're gonna be judged for your sin, so you better stop sinning. No, 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 no. The Christian message of sin is that Jesus took the judgment. Romans 8 verse one says, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the sentence has been paid. And if we trust Christ, if we accept his gift, the sentence is paid. That's why he said on the cross, it is finished. That's the message, the Christian message about sin. He paid the full price for it. So there's no more sentence waiting if we trust him. 
That's the message of Christianity. The other message about sin and the message of Christianity, that this sign doesn't say, you can tell I don't like the sign. Um, told my kids that. <clears throat> the other thing about sin that that sign misses, because that sign's basically saying, stop sinning, otherwise God's gonna judge you. The thing that Christianity teaches is that we as humans can't stop sinning. This is what we spoke about last week. That Christianity actually teaches that we are born with what it describes as a sin disease. This is why you don't have to teach your kids to take the bigger piece of cake when their sibling's standing right next to them. Ever thought about that? Like, hey son, when you see two pieces of cake, no, you don't have to teach that because there's an innate self-centeredness, selfishness born in us. There's something in us, Christianity teaches, that we're born with a sin disease. This is why you don't have to teach teenagers to do dumb teenage things. They're really good at it. We are really good at it. This is why we say that comment where it says this, where it says this, I'm only human, I'm not perfect. Why do we say that? Because we know there's something in us that's not working. This is why when my wife comes to me and says, you know what, Justin, there's something that's just frustrating me that you're doing that I'd love for you to change. My first inclination is not to say, yes, hon, tell me what you've got to say, I wanna grow. My first inclination is to blame her and to get defensive. Why is that? But it's in me and it's in us. What is that? That's why we don't have to practice that stuff. It's there. And if ever you bump into a message about sin that is a finger pointing and is judging and it does not take into account the fact that we as human beings don't have the ability to stop sinning and it doesn't take into account that we need a savior, it is not a Christian message of sin. And so often it's portrayed wrong and that's why when we hear sin, it's like meh and it's this judgment and I don't wanna talk about it like that because I feel judged and condemned and that's not the Christian message of sin. We spoke about the fact that last week, go listen to the message, that sin is, is, is more like Christianity teaches that it's the sin disease that we carry with us and we need a savior, we need a cure. It's not this judgmental idea. So, you know, sorry for going down that road too much. That's what I spoke about last week. Today I wanna continue the discussion about sin, and today what I wanna do is I wanna talk about the fact that when we sin, because we all do, and when we mess up, and when we live in a world that's broken as well, and when someone sins against us, the reality is that we're gonna see today that, that there is something in us that happens, and if it's true that we have this hereditary sin disease, and if you don't like calling it that, let's just you know, call it the broken human nature, but if all of us do wrong and are wronged in a world where that happens, we do sin, we do mess up, and people sin against us, if that's true, all of us are impacted by our own sin sin or wrong, and other people, when they wrong us, we're impacted by that as well. And today what I wanna do is I wanna talk about the incredibly powerful and incredibly sad result of what happens in our hearts when we mess up, when we sin and when someone hurts us when they sin against us because it's huge and it impacts us so much. It impacts our relationships, it impacts our faith. So I wanna look at that and see where that goes because it impacts us. To start the discussion, what I wanna do is I wanna go back to where Christianity talks about the first time someone did wrong, the first sin that happened. And this happened in the context um, of 
of perfection. I mean, God, according to Christianity, had made this world perfectly. There was no pain, there was no suffering, there was no brokenness, and it was beautiful. And then he put humans, he put us in this world, this is what Christianity teaches, and we were perfect too. We weren't selfish. There was no sin. There was no uh, self-centeredness. We, there was no brokenness. It was a beautiful situation. And in the context of that perfection, this is, think about this. This is beautiful. And, and there's something in us that longs for this. In the context of a perfect world, in the context of no sin and selfishness and, and yuck in us, there was nothing to hide. There was no shame. Life was free. We could just be. We could just live with no embarrassment, with no shame, with no hiding, with no pretending, with no proving, with no showing our best side. It was beautiful. Genesis 2 verse 25 gives us a really visceral picture of that freedom and that no shame and that beauty. It says this, 2 verse 25, Genesis 2 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. If you think about it, this is remarkable. It's remarkable. They were completely exposed, completely vulnerable, completely seen. Nothing was hidden. They didn't hide anything. There was nothing hidden, and they felt no shame or embarrassment. And this wasn't just a physical thing. They had nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of. They lived free. They were completely known, every bit of them, no secrets, and felt completely loved and secure. Imagine, had nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to impress, no grandstanding. It was just free. They were naked and felt no shame. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Living with the freedom of going, I don't have to show my best side to you and say this in the right way and do this in the right way and be worried that if you find this other thing out about me, then you won't really like me and you'll push me away and you'll reject me and you'll judge me. No, 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 no. Imagine just living in the freedom of being fully known and fully loved so that we could feel that we never had to hide, never had to prove, never had to cover up because there was nothing to be embarrassed about, never had to worry about anybody finding anything out about us. Imagine the freedom. It would be remarkable. But that's not the world we live in, is it? <laughs> we don't live in that. And the next verse starts to explain why, because it goes down this moment where all of that fell apart, all that freedom fell apart, and it talks about the first sin, and we're not gonna go into the details of that first sin, because we can talk about that another time. That's not important to this discussion. What I wanna look at is what was the response to that wrong, to when wrong was done, when, when, when they messed up, when they made the mistake, when they first sinned, what was the response? And the reason I wanna look at that reaction to sin is because it teaches us something about us, and it teaches us something about our reaction to sin. Genesis 3 verse seven, right after Adam and Eve sinned, it says this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, <clears throat> and they realized they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Their reaction to sin was shame. Whereas before they were naked and felt no shame, suddenly they felt exposed and they didn't like it. Suddenly they felt seen and it was like, whoa, 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 what are we looking at? This is not good. So they covered themselves up with whatever they could find, fig leaves. In other words, they put a mask on themselves, on their face, to mask the shame that they felt. Now let me just say, 
I'm South African, so when I say mosque, it means mask, okay? It's not a mosque that you go to. And when I'm talking about a mosque today, I'm not talking about a COVID mosque. I'm talking about a mosque that we cover up ourselves and hide behind. So cool, can we go with that? Mask. I'll say mosque a lot of times, but you know what I mean. Okay, good, we'll go with that. So, so their response, their response was to cover their shame with fig leaves to find whatever they could to mask themselves so that they wouldn't be exposed. They try to hide. Look at what it says next, verse eight. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Listen to these words. And they hid. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. The first response that they had to sin was to hide from each other, to cover themselves up so that they wouldn't feel shame and then to hide from God, as if we could hide from God. I mean, if he really is God, he knows everything, right? And he sees everything. But the funny thing is, the response to sin, the response to messing up, the response to doing something wrong makes us wanna hide, makes us want to hide from others and want to hide from God. Verse nine continues, but the Lord God called to the man, where where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Hiding was the first response to sin. Covering up, pulling back from relationships in some way, from God and from others was the response. And I think, I think this set the stage for the go-to response that humanity has experienced ever since. When we sin, When we sin, when we mess up, we feel something, guilt, shame, and it makes us wanna hide, cover up, do whatever it takes not to be seen as bad, not to be seen as unlovable, not to be seen as unacceptable. We cover up, we put a mask on. There's another thing about this whole sin thing that happens as well. It's not only when we sin, but when when somebody else sins against us. When we sin, it produces this reaction and we want to hide. But when someone else sins against us and hurts us as well, it produces another reaction as well because we're not designed for sin, according to Christianity. We're not designed for it, not our own sin or anyone else's sin. And yet, so when someone hurts us in a sinful way, especially when it's, when it's close people, especially when we're young and a parent hurts us or something happens, it's almost like a poison is injected into our system and it hurts, and it hurts deeply. That's what sin does. We're not designed to handle it, whether it's our own sin or someone else's sin against us. The book that I've referred to several times in the series is called The Cure. It's written by John Lynch, Bruce McNichol, and Bill Thrall. If you wanna dive deep into this discussion, read the book, it's phenomenal. But they said something in the book that describes this reaction to sin so well. They said this, when we sin, or when someone else sins against us, we automatically respond. If we commit the sin, our automatic response is called guilt. If someone else sins against us, our automatic response is called hurt. And God graciously designed these two responses to signal that something wrong has happened, that our hearts are disrupted and need healing. We don't work at producing these two responses to sin. They're as natural as the sting we feel when we leave our hand over a flame too long. Most of us don't know what to do with these internal responses though. Like Adam, we feel naked. So we hide 
or we override our guilt and hurt. And in the moment, it seems like a necessary self-preservation, but remaining in that choice soon unleashes new depths of pain, inner turmoil, and new masks to wear. As, uh, as with an undiagnosed infection spreading poison through our system, we may recognize something is not right. We feel it. We don't have the energy we used to have. And we wince and feel things we haven't before. Still, we may not connect the dots. An invisible inner enemy is, draw, is draining our joy. We may ignore it or stuff it away, and it may lie dormant for a while, but unresolved sin is still there. And they say bacterial infections often keep spreading poison until antibiotics are introduced. And you can dress nicer and comb your hair all you want, but you will only be a well-dressed, sick, sick person with nicely combed hair. No external appearance or vigorous exercise will solve our infection. That's why we named the book The Cure. And they say this, nothing in us is equipped or designed to absorb sin. Even when I'm the one being sinned against, I cannot handle it. It explains it so well. We are not designed to be able to handle sin. So just like Adam, the typical response is to hide, to put a mask on, to pretend it's all okay. I'm fine, I'm fine. Don't worry about it, I'm fine. All the while, something got stuck inside because we're not designed. And if we don't see it and don't understand it, it gets stuck in there. I believe that's the universal response, so much so that it's become normal, and this is huge, and it's so sad, but this is the universal response to when we get hurt and when we sin, to put a mask on, it's just become normal to hide, to pretend, to wear a mask, to say, I'm fine, that's just normal, and yet something, there's an infection on the inside that comes as a result of our own sin or the sin against us. As humans, the reality is all of us have been hurt. All of us have been sinned against, sometimes badly, sometimes from close people, and that goes in. And all of us have made mistakes. All of us, every one of us have done things that have hurt ourselves. We've sinned. And as such, as such, we have been hurt by sin and we have sinned. And then we tend to hide and hide the worst parts, and hide the shame, and hide the guilt, and hide the fear, and hide the pain, and show the strength, and show the, the, the fine, I'm good, and show the things that we think other people want to see. In other words, we all wear masks to some degree or another. Again, the cure goes on, and it talks about why we wear those masks. It gives a list as to what are the motivations, what are the reasons why we sometimes put masks on. They say this, all of us are tempted to wear a mask when when we want to prove to others that we're worthy of their love, we're tempted to wear a mask. When we want to prove to ourselves that we're worthy of being loved, we're tempted to wear a mask. When we want others to feel sorry for us, or no, when we want other, and when we want others not to feel sorry for us, we'll wear a mask. When we fear if others see us truly, they won't want to know us, we're tempted to wear a mask. And when we want to be seen as great, we're tempted to wear a mask. And then they add another list, and this list is, is for Christians. They say Christians are tempted to wear masks in other ways as well. Believers in Christ additionally are tempted to wear masks when our failures tell us that the experiment of grace didn't work. We're tempted to wear masks. We're tempted when, when we want to prove to God that we're worth his choice to love us. We're tempted to wear a mask. 
When we believe that God wants us to fake it so that he looks good, we're tempted to wear a mask. When we, when we want God to make our life work and our behavior seems like the price tag, when we think God cares more about right behaviors than our trust and dependence on him, when we think we're in competition with others and we're graded on a spiritual curve, we're tempted to wear a mask. And finally, when our shame makes us believe that we must assuage God's disgust in us, we're tempted to wear a mask. These mask things are all over the place, and I'm telling you, this has been a big part of my story. Wearing a mask, massive part of my story. I grew up in a home that emphasized the Bible and emphasized God's standards, and so I needed to try and live up to those things, and yet our home was incredibly broken. Some of you have heard me talk about this, but the, my parents were married and then divorced and then married and then divorced and then married and then divorced and then married. We moved 19 times before I was 19 years old. My dad went bankrupt. We lost a home. We were homeless for like six months or so, living in other people's houses. It was crazy. It was all over the place. And in all of that, in this broken home, my mom seemed to expect perfection all the time. And through her own hurt and her own insecurity, it was this weird broken perfection that she wanted. And yet I attempted my best to try and live up to that. And when I bumped into my own imperfection and I struggled to live up to that stuff, and when I bumped into my own sin disease, it totally crushed me and it totally confused me and I did not know how to do it. And so you know what I did? I hid. I put a mask on that I am gonna do this, I'm gonna be awesome, I'm gonna make this work. And then you add to that attempt to try and be perfect, you add all the brokenness and the mess and the insecurity, my dad not being there because you know, the, the divorce happened and all the, I don't know what's gonna happen, that created hurt and pain and shame and embarrassment that all got stuck in my heart. And so you know what I did with that? I hid. And I hid behind excellent behavior I hid behind hard work, I hid behind being nice and kind, I hid behind going to church, all while this infection was growing in my heart and this mask of perfection was growing on my face. But that's what I did, and that's what I thought I needed to do to survive and go, and I was growing this robust mask of, I'm awesome, don't you like me? I'm awesome, you can be like me. I'm awesome, I'll show you. All the while, infection is just wreaking havoc in my heart. And I didn't even know it sometimes. I didn't even know I had a mask on sometimes, but I did, and the mask was defining me more than me. And then something huge happened that started to shake all this. You know what happened? I got married. <laughs> and you know what happened? You can't really hide in marriage. Sometimes it's possible if both people are just all masked up and you're kind of doing life. But if that's not the case, it's really hard to hide. I actually tell people when I do weddings, I, I tell them this, if you wanna find out what's wrong with you, get married. <laughs> and you laugh because you know, right? I mean, that's what happens if you wanna, and, 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 and if you're not ready for it, it reveals stuff. Marriage, woo, it reveals stuff. If you wanna know, just get married. And it reveals stuff, and if you're not ready with that, it will mess with you. And it started to mess with me, and it started to shake this perfect mask that I had, and it started to reveal that there was something inside me, something that was louder and angrier and harsher and meaner than I thought I should be. And it started to come out all over my wife. And I didn't even know it, because I was awesome. Look. 
I was good, I was doing it, and I was hiding. But it began to reveal the stuff that was stuck in my heart that I didn't even realize was there. I, I, one of my favorite books is by a guy named Keith Miller. It's called Hunger for Healing. And in this book, he describes the stuff that gets stuck in us behind these masks. He describes the stuff that gets stuck in us using the illustration of barnacles. You know what a barnacle is? Barnacles are those things that get stuck underneath the hull of a ship. They're those sharp crustaceans that suck onto it, and they're just there. Now, the reason I love this picture is because these barnacles, man, they're under the surface, so you can't see it. The ship looks beautiful. Woo, it's lovely. And under the surface is gunk and the sharp stuff. The only way you find the barnacles is if you go looking for them or if someone bumps up against them. Have you ever bumped up against a shell on a, on a, on a rock? It cuts you. And my wife started bumping up against my barnacles and it hurt her, and I don't even know why. Look at me, I'm perfect, oh, this is great. But under the surface, these barnacles are growing. The other thing about barnacles is they're alive, and they keep growing unless you see them and do something about them. And lastly, the other thing about barnacles is they're incredibly hard to remove. I, I geeked out a little bit as I studied barnacles, so I'm gonna quote the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, because they said something really cool about barnacles that makes so much sense. They said this, barnacles secrete a fast-curing cement that is among the most powerful natural glues known with a tensile strength of 5,000 pounds per square inch and an adhesive strength of up to 60 pounds per square inch. It is, they say this, the glue is so strong that researchers are trying to figure out how it can be used commercially. Barnacles get stuck, and every one of us, when we get hurt, someone sins against us. Barnacles go whoop. When we sin and we react and we put a mask on, a barnacle gets stuck in our hearts, and it secretes this adhesive, strongest adhesive stuff in nature, and it gets stuck. That picture is so brilliant because that's exactly what I felt like I had these barnacles growing under the surface of my heart that I didn't even see sometimes but it was there, and when my wife bumped up against it, it scraped her, and it hurt her, and they were alive, and they were growing, and they were not easy to remove. I think it's a brilliant picture. Here's, here's what he says in the book. He says this, the sin disease creates emotional and spiritual barnacles that collect inside us and infect our character with rationalizations and deceit, crippling our lives and relationships. These emotional barnacles are caused by behaviors in the past, I would expand that and say caused by our own sin and other people's sin against us. And even though we may have forgotten them, if we don't deal with them, they stay alive and affect us and our present relationships in an insidious way. It is almost as if we are doomed to compulsively repeat our harmful habits until we notice what we have been doing and face the truth about our behavior. I know that's true of me. And I believe that all of us have these barnacles that have attached themselves to, to the hull below the surface to our hearts in some real ways when we've sinned and when other people have sinned against us. And until we can acknowledge the barnacles and begin to deal with them, I believe they will impact us, they will impact our relationships, they will impact our faith, they will impact our leadership, they will impact who we are, our parenting, everything about us. I think we all have barnacles. I know, I know I did, and it was destroying my marriage. And because I didn't know it, and because I didn't like how it feel, felt while it was there, do you know what I did? I put another mask on. 
But look, I'm good. I'm doing this right. I'm good. Sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, but the mask defined me, not me. And so the barnacles went unexamined. And then, and then, and then the bummer about all this, the, the sad thing about all this is, you know, we're wrestling with the stuff inside of us and we put a mask on to say, I'm good. Look, 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 I'm fine. I'm great. When we do that, there's another unintended repercussion. What happens is when I wear a mask, the very thing I'm wanting to be accepted and to be loved is impossible to find. You know why? Because I'm always wondering, are you accepting the mask or are you accepting me? And if you really know me, will you kick me out? And so there's this weird thing, we can't accept love. This is how the cure puts it. No one told me that when I wear a mask, only my mask receives love. We can gain admiration and respect from behind a mask. We can even intimidate. But as long as we're behind a mask, any mask, we will not be able to receive love. Then in our desperation to be loved, we'll rush to fashion more masks, hoping that the next one will give us what we're longing for, to be known, accepted, trusted, and loved. But it never works. Masks hide the barnacles. And the barnacles make us wear more masks because I want to be loved and there's something and I know it's there and I feel it's weird but I don't want to feel that and I don't want to look like that so I put the mask on and that hides the barnacles and the barnacles grow and makes me wear more masks and it's this vicious cycle. And I don't want to say or assume about you but I know this is true about me and I believe it's true about all of us to a degree. We all have this kind of going on, this temptation, this reality. So what do we do? What do we do with this mess? What do we do with the barnacles? What do we do with the sin and the hurt and the pain and the shame and the guilt? How do we tear the mask off? What do we do with that? And, and listen, this is why, oh, this is why I love real Christianity so much. This is why I hate church sign Christianity. Ah, I'm sorry, but this is why I love real Christianity so much. Because real Christianity actually sees this and addresses this, and it provides a real solution to real barnacles and real masks. It's beautiful, and it doesn't come with a dose of judgment and condemnation and rules and the need to be perfect and the need for you to put a mask on so you can fit in. Real Christianity has got nothing to do with that, and I'm so glad that I've discovered this, that someone introduced me, that someone invited me into this because it has changed my life. Honestly, my life only changed really when I discovered this, deeply when I discovered this. It was almost like someone invited me into this room of grace. The Cure talks about these rooms. And they invited me into this room of grace, a place where I didn't have to hide and I would be accepted and loved. And, and the reality is I only found this place after years of being in church and years of doing church. And I only found it when I began to walk with and in relationship with intentional, grace-filled, understanding people. Not just any people, people who lived in the room of grace, people who understood the problem of sin in themselves first. Not with a finger going, let's talk about your sin. No, 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 no. People who understood the problem of sin in themselves. They understood that sin was, was more than just bad things. It was the sin disease. They understood that and they pointed, they found the cure and they pointed me to that as well. People who recognized their own barnacles 
and provided a safe enough place for me to go, ah, do I have? And open up long enough for them to see it and help point me to healing. People who weren't stuck behind their masks, people who said, hey, watch, I'm taking my mask off. Hey, look at me, I'm also human. I also struggle with this sin disease. I am normal, I am also imperfect. They didn't say, look at me, I'm perfect. And they called me into the room of grace. My favorite scripture that describes this idea is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And it says it so beautifully. And this is what I've discovered. And I'll read it and then I'll talk about it. But it says this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's so much in this. And I think that those last few words, cleanses us from all sin, there is a way to find help for how sin has impacted our heart and the barnacles, our own sin and other people's sin. There is a way to find help for this. And it comes, I think, in the steps that it says here. It starts off by saying, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. I always used to read that and think when they said walk in the light, somehow I thought that I needed to do everything right. That walking in the light meant being perfect. And I don't know why, because that's not what light means, right? Light illuminates. Light exposes. It shows what's in the room. It shows what you can see. It shows the obstacles. I mean, imagine if I asked you to run across this room and I turned all the lights off and go, run, run. <laughs> you would bump into every chair, that camera, every person, all the people, and you would not know where the obstacles are. If you had to run from one side to the other, it's dark, you can't see a thing. But when we turn the light on, you can see where you need to run, right? It exposes what's there, and that's what I think he's saying here, that if I walk in the light, I am choosing to allow God's gracious, loving, healing, graceful light to shine on my heart and show me this is what's there, Justin. You wanna know why that's happening in your marriage? You wanna know why that's messing with you? You wanna know why you wanna put a mask on? Because let me show you. And it's not judgmental, it's just that's What's there? If I walk in the light, it exposes what's there. It allows me to look below the surface and allow God's gracious, loving, healing, kind light to expose my heart. And what happens, and this is so beautiful, I love this. When I walk in the light as he is in the light, it says we have fellowship with one another. I think what it means is we have real relationships Real fellowship, that's not defined by my mask, not defined by me only showing you my good side, and if you see the other side, I'm afraid you're gonna reject me. So it's, it, when I walk in the light, not only do I find that last thing that we're gonna look at now, but I find real relationships defined on the real me that I can actually relate and breathe and not have to perform or prove, but I can just be me. We have real relationships, and, and this is so beautiful, this is what I've discovered. This is what I've experienced and continue to discover and continue to experience. When I walk in the light as he is in the light, not only do I have real relationships with others, but the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. What Jesus did on the cross when he died and shed his blood can actually be uh, effectual in me. Because when I've got a mask on and I'm covering up and I'm hiding and I'm not letting and I'm not showing, it's almost like I'm blocking his light, his love and his blood from getting to where it needs to get to actually heal. But if I walk in the light, I take the mask off and I open my heart and I say, would you shine your loving, gracious light, kind light on my heart? I'll have real relationships with people. 
and his blood can actually get down to that barnacle and start going, hey, Justin, are you ready? Clench your teeth. This is going to hurt. Now go try relate. And you know what happens? My wife likes me more. But if I'm putting a mask on, if I'm hiding, I'm, I'm pushing that away. If I walk in the light as he is in the light, I'll have real relationship, real fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus can actually cleanse me from all sin. The implications, my own sin, other people's sin and his healing grace, his beautiful grace, his rescuing grace, his transforming grace can actually get to where it needs to get so he can heal us. And while this is scary because we have to go, I'll take the mask off, it's scary. And while it will hurt because ripping barnacles off is painful business, tensile strength of like 60,000, whatever that was, it's hard, it's difficult. If we're willing to do this, while it's scary and painful sometimes, if we're willing to do this, I'm telling you this is where real life change happens. He will heal us from all sin. It's crazy. I've experienced this. I've seen it and I'm so grateful that he's begun to remove barnacles. Not all of them, I still have some. I still have some that I don't even know about probably. I have some that I do know about and we're busy figuring that out. But his grace is coming in. I wanna always walk in the light because then I have real relationships and he cleanses me from that. I don't know of another way than being willing to open up, to take the mask off, to walk in the light with other people who get this who live in the room of grace to see us healed from that mess. Again, this is scary. I mean, it goes against everything in us, all the way back to Adam. There's thousands of years that we've been doing this. It's scary, it goes against everything in us. And it's scary sometimes as well because maybe you've tried this before and the response you got felt like not the room of grace, it felt like the room of judgment. And when you opened up, someone pointed their finger at you and said, gross, and you went, whoop, never again. And that saddens me, that's happened to me too. But I'm telling you, finding people in the room of grace who have taken their mask off first and said, hey, I'm not gonna ask you, but look at me, I'm a mess. I'm human too, I struggle too. Look, I have barnacles too. And perhaps if we can find that, perhaps if we can find the room of grace, those barnacles can be exposed because everyone in there knows they are on the same page. Everyone in there knows they too have a sin disease. Everyone in there has experienced hurt, has experienced shame and guilt. Everyone in there has messed up and they all realize they have barnacles. And in the room of grace, they have risked taking the mask off. They have risked walking in the light. And you know what they have found? Grace. Life-changing grace and the blood of Jesus actually can cleanse us from all unrighteousness, cleanse us from all sin. And they have found real relationships. I have found this. And I'm telling you, one of my biggest barnacles that I lived with was this need to be perfect. It was stuck on the foundation of my heart, need to be perfect. You know what that led to? Being incredibly critical of myself and being incredibly, incredibly critical of my wife. I would blame her for all our problems for the first six years of our marriage. I even told her that, I literally told her these words, that you are responsible for 80% of our problems. 
And if you can just fix those, we'll have a happy marriage. I took 20% because I was super humble. <laughs> I thought, and guess what? I was in ministry. I was preaching. How proud. I had this mask on. I looked really good. But then somebody invited me into the room of grace. And when I started walking in the light, taking off the mask, finding real fellowship with others, and Jesus started to actually change my life, and my marriage changed, and my marriage grew, and my wife likes me a whole lot more now. And I'm a better husband, and a better father, and a better man, and a better leader because I walked in the light. Someone invited me in. Someone made a safe enough place for me to go and take the mask off. And I changed everything. And God graciously began, not done yet, but began removing barnacles and changing my life. Guys, listen, this is why, this is why being a safe community is so incredibly important. The cure says it like this, what if there was a place so safe that the worst of me could be known and I would discover that I would not be loved less but more for the telling of it? What if there was a place that safe? We Rock Point, we want to be that place. We're fighting to be that place. Are we gonna do it perfectly? No, we're human, but we're gonna fight for it and we're gonna take the masks off and we're gonna open and we're gonna walk in the light so that we can have real fellowship and the blood of Jesus can cleanse us. It is the most life-giving, most freeing place I know and when you find it and you can take the mask off and when you're willing to walk in the light and let the light in, I'm telling you, it changes things. It's beautiful. There's a bunch of people in this room that have felt this, who've experienced it, and we wanna keep walking on this journey, but it starts by being willing to come to God and get real honest. It starts by being willing to take that risk. It starts by being willing to open up our hearts and let him see in, deep in, and it starts by taking off the mask. So here's the question I have for you today. Are you willing, would you consider taking that risk? Would you consider taking the mask off? Would you consider walking in the light? And don't do it with someone who's in the room of judgment. You gotta find someone who's in the room of grace who's taken their mask off. But I'm telling you, if you're willing to start at least with God, going, God, this is me, I'm gonna be real. It starts there. And then find someone in the room of grace that you can take the mask off as well. So would you consider first with God, taking the risk, taking the mask off, and then with someone who lives in the room of grace as well, because I'm telling you, if you walk in the light, as he's in the light, you'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. We're gonna end <clears throat> by singing a song. The band's gonna come out and sing a song. And let me just tell you, the song is a big song. <laughs> it's a loud song. And the reason we wanna end with this is because of what it says and we wanna hammer home. It, it, it repeats what I've said in a beautiful, creative way. And I want to give us a moment for us to consider, am I willing to take the risk? Here's the first few lines. What if I got real honest? What if I took a risk? What if I opened up my heart and let you see in? What if I took my mask off? So would you take this time and listen and consider, what if I did that? What if I walked in the light as he is in the light? Could I have fellowship with others and would the blood of Jesus cleanse me from all unrighteousness? Let me pray for us and the band's gonna sing the song. Father, thank you. I am so, so grateful for the room of grace. 
And God, my heart breaks that so often we don't find it. So often we're caught up in this room of judgment or the room of good intentions. Thank you for the room of grace that I was invited into, that someone was safe enough and open enough and real enough and honest enough to take their mask off and invite me in. Thank you for the life change. Thank you that as I've walked in the light, I've discovered this. And Father, I pray that we will walk in this. We will take the mask off. We'll take the risk. We'll let you in. We'll walk in the light for our own sake so that you can heal us from the mess and the sin and the barnacles, but also for the sake of others so we can be that safe room of grace for others. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. What if I got real honest? What if I took a risk? What if I opened up my heart and let you see it? What if I took my mask off, trying to fit in? I don't want to be a Let my God.